This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. I strive to make this podcast a safe and inclusive place for my listeners. If I've missed any content warnings, please let me know. Content warnings for this episode include strong language, mature themes, futanari, women with penises, discussions of adultery, manipulative behavior by religious authorities, and corruption and mind alteration. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 240. Hey there, folks. Welcome back to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm Chris Lester, the creator of the Metamore City Story Universe. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorecity.com. Each week, I share a piece of my fiction with you, available in audio for the first time anywhere. I'll also tell you what's new with my life and my writing. So let's kick things off with this week's story. Today, I'm bringing you Chapter 13 of my Metamore City erotic fantasy, Homecoming. If you're new to the show, go back to Episode 228 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. John and Kate have come to Kate's hometown of Bridger Heights to spend the Metacama holiday with her family. On their first night here, Kate's stepfather Sam asked for her help in solving a magical mystery. One of his students, Chase Tomley, seems to be suffering under some kind of curse. He nearly died last spring, and while he's doing better now, He continues to be plagued by strange headaches and bouts of fatigue. He's already been forced to repeat his senior year of high school, and if he doesn't pull things together soon, he's going to lose his scholarship to university. Meanwhile, Kate and John have had their own problem to deal with. Kate accidentally stole a chunk of essence from John during sex, which has temporarily transformed her into a succubus. They made an emergency shopping trip downtown, looking for clothes that would disguise the new anatomy Kate has acquired, such as a small pair of horns, a tail, and an impressively large phallus where her clit used to be. But with a piece of the goddess of lust and fertility inside her, Kate could not resist seducing Henri Bisset, the sexy older tailor who had made clothes for her when she was back in high school. An impromptu threesome with John and Henri resulted, and Kate fed on Henri's life mana, just like a real succubus would have done. John stopped her feeding before she could do any harm to the man, and everyone left the encounter having enjoyed themselves. But Kate was left uncomfortably aware of the new, inhuman hunger inside of her. Being a succubus feels almost too good. John encouraged Kate to relax and enjoy this break from her normal life, and promised that he will be there to help her if the hunger starts to get out of control. After their adventures downtown, John and Kate headed back to her parents' house, where they met up with Sam and went to the high school's homecoming skyball game. Chase is the captain of the Bridger Heights team, and Kate hoped that by getting a look at him with her aura sight, she could figure out the source of his mystery illness. As the players came onto the court for the coin toss, though, 
It was John who noticed the delicate web of essence that filled the stadium, drawing on tiny amounts of life mana from the hundreds of people in attendance. That web of divine power centered on one person, Chase Tomley. I understand what's happening to Chase, John told Kate. He's an incubus. Homecoming, A Tale of Metamore City, written and read by Chris Lester. Chapter 13 John and Kate hurried outside, where they did a lap around the building while they talked. The night was cold and windy, and no one else was spending more time outside than they had to. How can Chase be an incubus? Kate asked. John resisted giving the obvious answer, that Chase's mother had sex with an incubus. Kate knew about the incubus-succubus life cycle as well as he did. It's like you said before, he said. People are there to have a good time. They're watching attractive young people do something impressively athletic. He's feeding on their pleasure. But you said no incubus in his right mind would feed that way. I don't think he is in his right mind. I think he's a virgin. Kate shot him a sideways glare. I'm gonna let that one go. What does that have to do with anything? Simple. My kind can't go through metamorphosis unless we absorb enough life mana from the people around us. We do that by having sex. It takes a while. I don't know of anyone who changed on their first time. But once we've started, we keep doing it. We hunger for sex, even if we don't know why. Kate smirked. Sounds like every teenage guy I ever dated. And most of the girls, too, John agreed. But it's different. Inkies and suckies need sex, the way you need food and water. Lack of sex won't kill a human. It can kill us. Kate conceded this with a wave. So how does that explain Chase? He hasn't had his metamorphosis yet. John said. He hasn't absorbed enough energy. His daedra half is starving, and it's reaching out to everyone around it, trying to pull in enough mana to stay alive. He quickly put a couple of puzzle pieces together. That must be why he's doing better in the fall than he was in the spring. He has the Skyball games, all the energy of all those people to draw on. It's not enough to change, but it's enough to keep him going. And when the season ended, it cut off his food supply. Kate said, following the logic. Boom. Headaches, weakness, fatigue. She shook her head, then added softly, Poor kid. What I don't understand is why he's doing it to himself, John said. He's a freaking skyball captain, for Suspira's sake. There must be people who want to have sex with him. They both pondered that in silence for a minute listening to the rush of the wind and the soft thudding of their feet against the pavement. "'Is it possible that Chase is asexual?' Kate asked. "'Maybe he's not having sex because he doesn't want it.' John shook his head. "'Humans can be asexual. We can't. Hells, we each have a little piece of the goddess of lust inside us. You already know what that does to your thought processes.' "'Fair point,' Kate admitted, ruefully." We need more information about this kid. Where does he come from? What's his family like? Do we tell your dad what's going on? 
John asked. Kate tilted her head skyward. Oh, gods. I think we have to tell him something, but that is not a conversation I want to have with him. She paused. For one thing, we'd have to tell him how we know. Right, John said. Well, let's go watch the game and see if we can get an introduction to some friends and family. I need to know this kid's story if I'm going to know how to help him. Kate grinned suddenly. Aw, John, are you having an attack of altruism? John stopped and looked at the ground. Kate stopped with him. I'm having an attack of sympathy pains, he said quietly. I know how this story goes, hon. If he doesn't starve himself to death, sooner or later he's going to change. He's going to turn into a demon, he put air quotes around the word, with powers he doesn't understand and a hunger he doesn't know how to control. His family and friends will turn on him. The Lightbringers will hunt him down, if he doesn't kill himself out of shame or fear. Best case scenario, the Church of Hedonism scoops him up, and he learns how to be a Daedra from someone like Priestess Jasmine. Kate put a gentle hand on his arm. Jasmine isn't so bad. She's a manipulator, John said, evenly. If she's kind, it's because she wants something from you. If you aren't useful to her, you're beneath her notice. She might have a shred of humanity left, but it's a cold, dry husk of a thing. She belongs to her hunger. He shook his head. Jasmine taught me how to survive in the world, after my family threw me out. I'll always be grateful for that. But she didn't teach me how to love people, or have a conscience. Delilah did that. Kate nodded slowly. She already knew about Delilah Velasco de Moraine, the Tornish baroness who had fallen in love with John and taught him to love in return. But Delilah was married, and her high station made any further contact between her and John much too dangerous. As painful as it had been for both of them, they'd had to end their affair and move on. You want to make sure he gets a better start than you did, Kate said. John nodded. That's part of it. Kate stepped closer, tucking herself in under his arm. And the rest of it? she asked gently. John gritted his teeth, took a long breath in and out. This had been weighing on him for the last six months, and he still wasn't sure he was ready to talk about it. But the fates seemed to have made that decision for him. I have kids out there, he said, his voice rough and heavy with emotion. I don't know how many. I don't know where they are, or who all the mothers are. It wasn't something Jasmine wanted us to think about. I'd get in trouble if she found out I was looking. And every one of them's a ticking time bomb waiting to go off. Kate was silent a long moment. Gods, she whispered. I knew you had a lot of sex as a priest, but... She shook her head. I guess I didn't think through the implications. Neither did I, John said heavily. But right around the time I met you, Delilah sent me some pictures. A daughter and a son, by her and her maid Isabel. Tears had welled up in his eyes again at the memory, and he blinked them away. And I'll never get to see them grow up. I won't be there to help them when they change. You don't know that, Kate said softly. Delilah knows you care about them. 
when it's their time to change, don't you think she'll send them to you? That honestly hadn't occurred to John. The thought gave him a spark of hope. Maybe, yeah, he admitted. If we can find a way that's safe. Yes, you're right. That would be like her. He held Kate a little closer. Thank you. But I can't do anything for them right now, or for any of my other kids who might be out there. But I can help Chase. Kate turned toward him then, wrapped her arms around him and held him tight. She spoke softly into his ear. Then that's what we'll do. And later, after we take care of this, I'm going to help you find your kids. We're going to make sure they're okay. John's breath hitched, and he leaned in to Kate, kissing the side of her neck. I don't know what I did to deserve you. He felt Kate's grin against his cheek. Mind-shattering orgasms, remember? They both laughed, and the knot of tension John had been carrying in his chest eased a little. All right, Kate said, stepping back and holding him at arm's length. Let's go gather some intel. They kept a careful eye on Chase for the rest of the game, watching the flow of mana around him. The web his incubus side had created was not a constant thing. It grew stronger when he was resting, and began to unravel when he was exerting himself. The amount of mana flowing through the web increased when the crowd was excited and engaged, and tapered off during timeouts or intermissions, or when the opposing team was on a hot streak. The strongest flow of all came when Chase successfully made a penalty throw. The crowd was pleased, and all of their attention was on him. Chase himself showed no reaction to these changes. His supernatural hunger seemed to be handling it all subconsciously. John tried to imagine what those trickles of mana might feel like, but it had been a long time since he'd had his metamorphosis. His powers were such a part of him now that he had no frame of reference. Chase must be feeling something, but it was anyone's guess what it felt like, or if it was even strong enough to notice. The game was not a close one. The Littlefield captain, Janet Vickers, seemed to be the best player on the court, and she pulled off a few plays that were truly stunning. But the Badgers had the stronger team overall, and their teamwork gradually swamped the Ravens, running up a commanding lead. Vickers made one last, desperate push in the fourth quarter, scoring an incredible 16 points in less than two minutes of game time. But it was too little, too late. The last buzzer sounded, and Chase's web gathered a big burst of mana as crowd and players alike celebrated their victory. As the Ravens hit the showers, the Badgers dispersed into the stands to greet their friends and family. John watched as Chase climbed the stairs out of the pit, two at a time. There was a noticeable spring in his step, probably from the life energy he had just soaked up. He stopped at the first row of bleachers, where a short, pretty, brown-haired woman jumped up and threw herself into his arms. Chase spun her around in the air, eliciting squeals and laughter, then set her carefully back down again. He turned to greet several other young people nearby, slapping backs and exchanging high-fives. The girl slid her arm around Chase's waist and leaned into him, looking happy and wistful in equal measures. Well, well, John thought, feeling his eyebrows rise. That's interesting. 
he leaned over and tapped Sam on the shoulder. Who's that with Chase over there? he asked, pointing. Sam craned his neck to follow John's line of sight, then smiled warmly. Oh, that's Emily. She and Chase have been friends forever. Almost family, really. Chase's mother used to look after them together when Emily's mom was at work, and they've stayed close ever since. She even helped take care of him when he got sick. Any chance it might have turned romantic? Kate asked. She nodded toward the cluster of young people, where Emily was still tucked contentedly under the crook of Chase's arm. That looks like more than sisterly affection to me. You know, I'm not sure, Sam said, pensively. There have been rumors about them for a long time, since they're almost always together. But if there's anything to it, neither of them has said so. Kate exchanged a look with John behind her father's back. John guessed that she had a lot of the same questions he did. How well do you know her? John asked. We might need to talk to her, depending on what's wrong with Chase. Sam waggled his hand in a so-so gesture. We've spent some time together, but not recently. She graduated a couple of years ago, goes to St. Mariah's now. She's a sweet girl, but not really into science. Got it, Kate said. You want to introduce us to Chase before he disappears? Sure, follow me. They started working their way down to the front row, moving against the current of the crowd. Chase spotted Sam and met them halfway, Emily in tow. Now that he had a closer look at her, John took a moment to appreciate Emily's appearance. She was petite in stature, maybe 155 or 160 centimeters at most, but she had a gymnast's build. Broad shoulders, an elegant neck, small breasts, wide hips, and shapely, powerful legs. Large, dark brown eyes gleamed vibrantly in a diamond-shaped face, accented by prominent cheekbones, a long, straight nose, a sharp chin, and a broad, expressive mouth. Her skin was a shade pinker than Kate's, and her cheeks were covered in a smattering of freckles. She wore her brown hair pulled back in a high ponytail, revealing small but slightly pointed ears with attached lobes. John wondered if she had a little elven blood somewhere in her family tree. She smiled as she and Chase approached, revealing rows of small, brilliantly white teeth. More striking than any of her individual features, though, was the aura that surrounded her. Emily positively sparkled with life energy. A mundane human might have sensed it as charisma, or a sort of animal magnetism. Henri might have called it joie de vivre. John's incubus side, though, would call it something else. Delicious. If you haven't tried to get anywhere with this girl, Chase, you're even crazier than I thought. Chase, for his part, was oblivious to John's inner commentary. He came straight up to Sam and threw his arms around him in a tight, sweaty hug. Mr. K! I'm so glad you came! Wouldn't miss it, son, Sam said, laughing. He slapped the young man's back. You did good out there. Thanks, I felt good out there. They broke the hug, and Chase turned his attention to Kate and John, his expression curious and friendly. Hi, I'm Chase Tomley. He extended a hand to them in greeting instead of bowing, a minor breach of etiquette that probably didn't have the same meaning here as it would in Metamore. I'm Kate, Sam's daughter, Kate said, taking the offered hand and shaking it. This is John. 
How do you do? John said, taking Chase's hand in turn. He smiled at the kid, then turned his expression on Emily. Hello there. As he did so, he reached out with a tendril of essence, brushing it lightly over first her aura, then Chase's. It was the gentlest of touches, not enough to twist their perceptions or break down inhibitions, just enough to judge their receptivity. To John's surprise, Chase's aura refused the essence entirely. It just bounced off the outer edges of his mana field. Even though Chase had been unconsciously feeding all evening, his human side wasn't in sync with Suspira's ethos at all. John had never seen that in an incubus before. No matter how recently they had fed, they were always at least a little open to more sex. Except for Chase, apparently. Emily, on the other hand, was very receptive. She instantly blushed bright pink under John's smile. Hi, she said, sounding a little dazed. Her eyes went wide as she stared at him, and for a moment she seemed to forget where she was. As an incubus, John got that reaction fairly often around new people, and if he had to be honest, it was one he never got tired of. He withdrew the essence from her. In response, her aura opened up a little, as if trying to reach out for what it had just lost. If Chase could sense any of this, he gave no sign of it. He put an arm around her. This is Emily Bell, my favorite person on the planet, he confided. That was enough to shake Emily out of her fixation. Aw, she said, then squeezed him in a sideways hug. Right back at you, you big oaf. Kate and John are in town for the holiday. Sam said. How about you two? Any plans? Chase and Emily exchanged a look, suddenly hesitant. Well, there's a party tonight, Chase said. We might go hang out for a while. I feel pretty good right now. Emily smiled brilliantly. Great! And there's the town potluck on Friday, and then the big dance? She abruptly cut herself off, as if she had said more than she meant to. She thumped Chase on the back and looked up at him, adding in a quieter voice, Well, you know, if you're feeling up to it. Chase lowered his eyes, evidently embarrassed. I guess we'll see. There was an awkward pause. Sam cleared his throat. You know, he said, Kate's a wizard for the Metamore Police Department. She's seen a lot of weird stuff, magically speaking. She might be able to answer some of those questions you've asked me. That seemed to surprise both Chase and Emily. They looked over at Kate with a cautious, speculative interest. Yeah? Chase said. Kate gave them her most cheerful smile. Sure. And if I don't know the answers, I might know who to ask. Why don't you two come over for breakfast tomorrow? Sam suggested. I'll whip up some pancakes and sausage, break out the good coffee... And if you want to, we can talk about it then. The promise of food apparently sealed the deal for the two young people. They exchanged another look, then nodded and smiled. All right. Yeah, sounds good, Chase said. He glanced quickly around at each of them in turn. See you tomorrow, then? We'll be there, John promised. Chase hugged Emily again and kissed her forehead. I've got to hit the showers. See you at the thing? You bet, Emily said. Chase headed back down the stairs, toward the pit and the locker rooms beyond. Sam put a hand on Kate's shoulder. 
I'm going to hit the head before we get out of here. Meet you by the drinking fountains? Sounds good, Kate said. But John could tell that she was only half listening. She was watching Emily with a friendly smile, but also with the kind of focused attention that a lioness might apply to gazelles at a watering hole. Emily waved to Sam as he trotted up the steps toward the exits. Bye, Mr. K. See you tomorrow. Sam waved back to her, smiling, then disappeared into the crowd. Emily looked back at John, at Kate, bounced on her heels for a few seconds, then ducked her head. Well, guess I should go too. See you tomorrow? See you then, John agreed. Emily turned and started to head for the exit. Then, apparently summoning a hidden reserve of courage, she came back and offered her hand to John. It was really nice to meet you, she said, shining that brilliant smile again. John took her hand, bowed over it, and lightly kissed the back. He kept his eyes locked on hers and gave her his most dangerously charming smile. Likewise, he said, his voice a low rumble. His essence reached out to her again, flowing along the connection between their hands. Her aura opened a bit wider in response, welcoming the touch. John allowed a little more of his power to flow into her this time, letting Suspira's thoughts and desires become hers. Emily's subconscious welcomed it, as if it were the answer to a thirst she hadn't known how to quench. She froze, her cheeks turning an even brighter shade of pink. After a moment, she drew back her hand, giggling nervously. Wow, um, kind of old-fashioned, but I like it. A thought seemed to strike her then, and she cast a worried glance in Kate's direction, as if afraid she had overstepped her bounds. Kate understood. She stepped up and opened her arms to the girl. It was good to meet you too, Emily, she said warmly. Emily's eyes went wide in surprise, but she accepted the offered hug. Kate leaned in close to the girl's ear, whispered something, and then a cloud of essence rose up out of Kate's mystic center and enveloped Emily. The younger woman sucked in a sudden breath of air as her aura opened wide and readily received the power Kate poured through her. A rush of pheromones and feminine musk hit John's nostrils, and he saw both women shudder with sudden pleasure. Emily drew back in Kate's arms and stared at her, her eyes wide and dilated, her jaw falling open. Kate's essence? No, John reminded himself, Suspira's essence, working through Kate, continued to swirl around them, invisible to everyone but Kate and John. Emily's aura soaked it up like water into a dry sponge. I... uh, Wow, Emily murmured. Kate broke the embrace, and the essence withdrew to her mystic center, cutting off the flow. She pulled a pen and an old receipt out of her pocket and quickly scrawled something down on it. She folded the paper twice, took Emily's boneless hand in both of hers, and closed her fingers around the paper. Think about it, Kate purred. Then, with a smirk in John's direction, she raised the back of Emily's closed hand to her lips and kissed it. Emily shivered, and a wave of pleasure came out of her, 
flowing over John's senses like warm honey. She tightened her grip on the paper, then carefully stuck it in her pocket. I will, she promised, her voice shaky. She paused, unconsciously moistening her lips. I'll... I'll see you soon, then. Kate smiled, hungrily. I can't wait. The girl turned and left, pausing once halfway up to look back over her shoulder at them. John and Kate both smiled and waved. She waved back, then continued up to the exit. John and Kate did not look at each other, their eyes being fixed on Emily's shapely ass. Neither one spoke for a moment. I get the impression, John observed in a calm, neutral voice, that you would like to eat that young lady. Like a double chocolate sundae, Kate agreed. She tried to match his tone, but there was no hiding the lust behind it. She's tasted essence before, John said. She doesn't know what it is, but she wants it. Good, Kate said, because I want to give it to her. John glanced at her out of the corner of his eye. We'll need to take precautions. You don't want to risk her getting pregnant. Kate barked a laugh. When John didn't laugh with her, she looked at his face, and her eyes went wide. Wait, you're serious? John raised an eyebrow. Kate looked dazed. How the fuck is that even possible? You swallowed a pretty big piece of the goddess of fertility, John pointed out. I don't think we should make any assumptions about what is or isn't possible. That sobered her up fast. Kate pulled out her phone and opened the map application. We'll have to hit up a magic shop. We can get me a male birth control charm like yours. You'll need the extra strength variety, John reminded her. The cheap ones won't stop incubus sperm. Kate scrolled through the listings. Looks like there's a couple in Ellentown that are still open. Thank Eli for all the night owl wizards out there. They started walking toward the exit. John? Kate asked, after a moment. Yeah? Is it always like this for you? When you see somebody who... looks good, do you always get this... hungry? John considered the question. It's not always this strong. Emily's got more life mana than most, and she's very receptive. Either one of those is an aphrodisiac for us. Put them together, and it's not surprising that it hits you hard. They were getting close to the drinking fountains now, and Kate didn't say anything in response. Sam saw them coming and met them halfway, and together they moved toward the parking lot. So, what did you think of Chase? Sam asked. John almost laughed out loud. Chase? We barely thought of him at all. After a moment, that made him feel guilty. After all, Chase was the one they were supposed to help. This is why Inkies and Suckies don't make good heroes, he thought. We're way too distractible. I think we can help him, Kate said, but we'll need to know more about his situation first. That was good thinking, inviting them over. It should be fun, Sam agreed. And it'll be nice to catch up with Emily. I haven't seen her since she started college. They climbed into Sam's ground car. Kate had ridden shotgun on the way over but now she slid into the back seat next to John. He thought he knew why, too. 
In the light of the dome lamp, John noticed a sizable bulge in Kate's pants, one that even Henri's clever tailoring could not disguise. How old is she, Dad? Kate asked, trying to sound casual. Hmm, Sam said, frowning to himself as he started the car. The overhead light went out, and Kate relaxed back into her seat. Well, she was two grades ahead of Chase, and then he got held back. So, about twenty, I guess? Why do you ask? Kate looked out the window, blushing slightly. John was sure that no one with human eyes could have seen it. Oh, she said airily. Just curious. And that's the end of chapter 13. Come back next time when Kate visits a magic shop and wrestles with the new hunger her transformation has given her. I'm recording this episode on July 11th, together with episode 239. I had some extra time this weekend, so I decided to add an extra episode to the buffer. As a result, I don't have a new writing report this week. Come back next time and I'll tell you how things have been going. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2019 and 2020 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvette Press. The show is released under Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives License. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.